Hello and welcome to the Petrolhead Podcast. I am Kyle. And I'm Chaz. And this is our very first episode. This podcast is brought to you by Petrolhead Cafe, a bar and restaurant concept that is soon to be launching in Hartford, Connecticut. We feel like there's a need for comprehensive discussion on a regular basis about uh, the motorsport world in general. There are lots of podcasts out there uh, like F1 Beyond the Grid, Roto GP. Uh, Brap Talk, Driven with Skip Barber, and other kinds of podcasts that are a little more um, niche or they have a certain uh, specific focus um, to them based on a series or a certain type of racing. There are podcasts that are a little more related to cars and industry or motorcycles, the industry surrounding motorcycles. But we wanted to put together a something that includes uh, information, news, opinion, and other things related to cars, motorcycles, motorsport, and other related industries. Uh, My role in Petrolhead Cafe started in 2015 when I was in Chicago watching the MotoGP race at Circuit of the Americas in Austin, Texas. I was actually at a bar with my brother-in-law, and we were the only people in the bar and I asked the bartender to turn the sound on the television, and he said, no, we only do that for Chicago teams. I was a bit disappointed, but at that moment, I realized that there needs to be some kind of specialized sports bar for uh, people like us, people who like racing, whether it's car, motorcycle, what have you. If it's got an engine and wheels, and it goes, and you race it, then we are all about that. So uh, even though that concept uh, came about in 2015 in Chicago, flash forward a few years, and now I'm based in Hartford, Connecticut, and uh, the opportunity came for uh, me to fulfill this idea for uh, the motorsport bar and restaurant. And so I've been working on it for a couple of years, and uh, a few months ago, um, I got connected with Chaz, who has lots of experience uh, in the Connecticut and New England region and even beyond as a uh, amateur racer, driving instructor, and all around, how, w- how would you say it, Chaz, like all around? Petrol head. <laughs> all, around, <laughs> all around uh, Petrol head who has lots of connections um, and insight into the industry. And his, uh, his presence here on the podcast will be invaluable because I'm very much an outsider kind of looking in, especially when it comes to car stuff. And so I'm very excited to have him here co-hosting and I'll let him uh, take it from here to introduce himself before we dive into talking about the main topic of today's episode, which is how will the coronavirus affect the world of motorsport? Yeah. So a little bit about my background. Um, You know, I'll, I'll start by saying I actually came late into watching the motorsport world i was more involved in it before i even became a spectator uh which is a little oddly enough so when i was when i was growing up i was always into cars you know the matchbox thing and um i was lucky enough to have an uncle my mom's one of ten and her the youngest of the ten um uh, my uncle sylvain uh was a track instructor and um you know i was always into cars and then i had that uncle uh, to influence me as far as by the time I started getting old enough to, to be able to reach the pedals. Uh, so by eight years old, uh, my dad took me out and taught me to drive stick. By 12 years old, my uncle and my mom was teaching me how to do 180 handbrake turns and reverse 180s and drifting around corners in this little 92 Civic we had in empty parking lots uh, because I just a lot of people in my family were, were into driving. And, um, you know, they grew up in Canada, snowy roads, so pretty much everybody knew how to do a 180 handbrake turn. Um, so I was hooked by basically by the age of 12. So when I, uh, even before I had my license, I turned 16, I went out and bought a Mustang because I knew I wanted to do some kind of track driving and uh, eventually got into uh, autocrossing, which is a very easy way to start it. And we can talk more about that maybe in a future episode. Uh, but I started autocrossing. And then from there, I uh, went to go spectate at a drifting event and saw that all these cars were 240 sx's like 90 percent of them 240 sx's 
Um, and I thought it was the coolest thing. So I went out and I bought a 240SX, uh, you know, welded the diff, um, got a well, lot of what's help. What's a 240SX? I'm, oh, I'm yeah. A, I'm, a, I'm a newbie to car world. What's a 240SX? <laughs> it is a 1992 Nissan 240SX. Uh, but they had, um, so it's, a, you know, it's, it's post-Datsun Nissan. Um, uh, you know, after Datsun really became Nissan. Um, they had the 240SX. It's a 2.4 liter, uh, naturally aspirated inline four cylinder engine. And uh, most people rip that out and they put in, you know, 1.8 liter turbos or they'll put in um, Skyline engines or Corvette engines. So they're very easy to modify. They're very easy to work on. Um, and they're very, very cheap. I paid $1,900 for mine, bought it out of a, nice. uh, from a cop in Cheshire. And um, it was it was unmolested and then I molested it. So. <laughs> Uh, rear wheel yeah, drive so rear wheel drive yep it's a you know 50 50 weight distribution very light car long wheelbase and the long wheelbase is great for drifting because as soon as that car starts going sideways you can you know be slow with your hands and still be able to catch it it's just the easiest nice. car to drive sideways and not a lot of horsepower but enough torque to to break free that's why people usually turbo them but uh yeah, so I bought the car and I wanted to leave the engine and everything mostly stock because I wanted to start wheel-to-wheel racing. So I, I started by getting um, involved in HPDE, which is a high-performance driving event. So that's where you go to a track and they usually assign you an instructor and you start learning the basics of how to drive on a racetrack. Um, so, and they usually graduate you, you know, beginner, intermediate, advanced. And then if you want to move on to become an instructor, you can do that, which... Uh, which I certainly did. And then I've been instructing for about 10 years now, HPDE, um, as well as uh, some wheel-to-wheel racing experience uh, in my 240 and in other vehicles um, that I've been asked to drive. Um, And then uh, basically instructing with various motorsports clubs, um, as well as exotic driving schools. If you ever see those deals, you know, $100, you can drive a a Lamborghini. Uh, Good old Groupon. Yeah, exactly. So I've been an instructor for two different um, uh, organizations that do those. Uh, so I get to drive some pretty sweet cars there, which is which is a lot of fun. But uh, yeah, it wasn't really until about 2011 that I actually started paying attention to, to driving, um, like watching professional driving. And Formula One was kind of my initial, uh, my, my first love, if you will. Um, so I started with that and then moved on to, you know, IMSA and Indy and and other cars as well. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm excited to be here. And I think this is uh, an excellent idea that Kyle had. And uh, I'm glad that he invited me to be a part of this. All right. Another dumb question about the 240. Uh, front engine, mid engine? Yeah, front engine, rear wheel drive. It's uh, technically a four seater because there was a bench seat in the back, but I ripped that out. Um, and uh, it was a five speed manual transmission. I had so I had what's called an S13, which is basically the chassis designation. So for the year I have, they call them S13, um, and then you know it goes S14, S15, and so on. Actually, I think it stopped at S15. Um, so the S14 had the pop-up headlights, and then they have different mm. noses. They call it a shark nose or a pig nose. So uh, for anyone who knows what it is, I had a S13 shark nose 240SX with the just the stock 2.4 KA 24DE engine which is a dual overhead cam, uh, 2.4 liter. They made a single cam uh, in previous years. But uh, yeah, so that's as probably as specific as I can get about that car. It was white, number 63. Oh, it was um, a hatchback too, because they made a coupe version where it was just like a cut off back and then they made the sleek hatchback. So I had the mm-hmm. hatchback. No, I think the coupes are the more desirable one. Ah, uh, okay. Coupe or coupe? Google. It's a coupe. Japanese car, so I think they just call it a coupe. Okay. All right. Oddly, fun fact, Nissan in Japanese means two, uh-huh. three. Nissan, that's how you say two, and that's how you say three. So if you see Nissan, a lot of times they race number 23. There's a oh. fun Nissan for you, for the, for the listeners. <laughs> you learn something new every day. I had no idea. Yeah, yeah I guess the Japanese would say coupe. I mean, yeah. I think they, had to, they all had to start learning the American version of English uh, after World War II. So that makes sense. All right. So uh, the way that I found uh, my way into motorsport is a little bit different. Um, I am much more of a motorcycle guy. Uh, I fell in love with motorsport after learning how to ride a 
uh, motorcycle for the street, or I should say probably like taking a class to get my motorcycle endorsement. I actually learned how to ride a dirt bike when I was about 14. And um, so I, I knew the basics of throttle and clutch control and shifting the gears and so forth. But that was just kind of a little bit of off-roading that I had done one summer with, with a cousin of mine. And so in 2011, I went to visit my sister uh, who was studying abroad in London. And this was the time when gas was really expensive, like almost $5 a gallon. And um, I saw plenty of people over in London and then Paris, which I visited afterward, riding around on scooters and motorcycles. And, you know, as soon as I, I got home, I was determined to get myself a little scooter and start puttering around, saving lots of gas and just enjoying myself on a scooter and eventually a motorcycle. Um, cause I had been into motorcycles my, my entire life. Um, it was something that I kind of got hooked on as a little kid. I grew up with relatives who had motorcycles and I always loved sitting on them and, and so forth. And I think my uncle took me for my first motorcycle ride. I don't know how old I was probably like eight or nine years old, uh, maybe even younger, but circumstances were such that I wasn't able to, uh, to do any kind of motorcycle riding growing up. I had really been into motocross, even though I didn't didn't really we didn't really have cable TV growing up. I would catch motocross a little bit. I think maybe if the X games were being shown on broadcast television or something, I got a glimpse of of motocross every once in a while, but it was something that I would watch at like my friend's house, you know, if they had the cable channel where, where it was being shown on. I don't even remember what channel it would have been on, but you know, my friends in the neighborhood and everything, we, we were into riding our bikes around the neighborhood and doing mountain biking on uh, local areas. And so naturally the next thing after mountain biking would be taking to those trails with a dirt bike and being able to go a lot faster and, and everything. So we were, we were all into power sports with the dirt bikes and, and the, the snowmobiles and stuff, but it was mostly just, childhood pipe dreams because none of us could actually afford to buy any of those things and you know much less actually go racing or something so i grew up dreaming about being a motocross racer and and finally after i had come come back from my trip overseas i took the motorcycle safety foundation's basic rider course got my endorsement and i was pretty much hooked from then on out as soon as i got that i started to uh, search around on YouTube for uh, racing series that that brought me to MotoGP pretty much right away, and their their people did a great job and still do a great job of putting out great free content. At the time, I don't know exactly when their streaming their proprietary streaming service debuted, but even in 2011 2012, I think it was available. I couldn't put the money into it at the time. But with uh, the MotoGP race rewinds that they would put out on YouTube, I was able to follow along with the season um, because these like three to five minute videos that would basically give the highlights of each race uh, were available for free. And so I was able to become familiar with all the different the different riders and the characters involved, if you will. And at the time, I'd been still living in the Chicago area. So in 2014, MotoGP was still racing at... Indianapolis Motor Speedway. And so uh, I went down there. I kind of decided, hey, you know, this is this is a few hours away. I want to go check this out. And from the moment that I saw a MotoGP bike go by on the front straight during morning warm up at over 200 miles an hour, I was uh, I was pretty hooked. You know, it was the way that India structured. I mean, it's huge. First of all, it's one of the biggest facilities that I've ever been in, you know, because since then, I, I've been to many different racetracks, but that was that was my first real experience with any kind of road course racing. You know, I'd been to some dirt ovals and stuff, but this was this was the real deal here. So the way that Indy is, like the stands are so big, they go up so high. So even if as you're walking into the main gate and up up this little ramp to see the front straight, um, there are stands that are going to be up and behind you, and then across the the track the stands go up from there so there's a lot of a lot of echo and the sound bounces around and so when those gp bikes come down the front straight like it's it's very loud and they just go by in a blur and it's cool and it kicks up your adrenaline and gives you goosebumps a little bit so 
it was tons of fun and uh, I was hooked. From then on, I became a big fan of MotoGP. And after that race that I watched at Indy in 2014, I thought to myself like, oh man, like America needs to get on the ball with developing riders and, and racers of all kind because we are, we are just behind the times, man. So I guess you could say that's part of the mission of uh, Petrolhead Cafe is to, to develop a community space and to grow the sport of, of racing, whether that's car, motorcycle, whatever. Not bobsled racing, though. We're not going to do bobsled <laughs> racing. I've never heard of MotoGP in person. It's, when you go to these, do you have to wear like the earplugs like you do with the F1 races? Yeah. Yeah, um, it's definitely recommended, I would say. It it kind of depends on how close you are to the action. If you're up in the stands, it's not really necessary. But if you're right there on the front straight, it's it's definitely... Um, I would put earplugs in after a few times hearing those spikes go by. Like once or twice, just for the, for the experience, I guess. You know, unmuffled MotoGP bike coming down the pipe. But dare I say it gets a little old... You know, in one weekend, just so much of that noise, you know, you don't want your eardrums throbbing after that and just ru- ruining the rest of your the next week, you know, with sore ears. So I've never been to a Formula One race, so I wouldn't be surprised if the F1 cars are louder just because the engines are bigger, of course. So, so yeah, have I you been to, in? Yeah, I went to a Canadian Grand Prix. It was before they were running turbos, so the car was pretty loud. And um, when I showed up, I, they were handing out earplugs like at the entrance gate. And I'm like, this is ridiculous. Like, I came here to see cars, <laughs> to hear cars. Like, I don't need freaking earplugs. And um, I got there for open practice on the Friday, and, or excuse me, on the, uh, the Saturday. And um, they, boom, they start flying by immediately. And I'm like, I need it plugs yeah i need airplugs right now so mm-hmm. uh after after i was right at the uh the hairpin turn um uh it, it, i don't know if you know um uh the circuit the Gilles Villeneuve at all in, in canada montreal but uh they have the turn, so they come down and they scream do, 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 all the downshifts and then they just do a sharp hairpin and then wah, back on it uh before they hit the little chicane onto the the front of the um the start finish but mm-hmm. uh, yeah, i was right there just hearing those those burping down shifts coming down is so cool but yeah definitely wish i had air protection because i was right up against the fence i oh. had general admission tickets i didn't buy stand tickets yeah so general admission you don't have a seat you just kind of walk around okay and I, was like, I was like that's fine i don't care I'll, i i don't i kind of want to hop around anyway i don't want to watch yeah the all weekend um but it was a mistake a little bit because they don't let you get near the fence you know they don't let you kind of pop in where where there's people because then too many people would just be standing there uh, so the security guards kind of shush you away a little bit but you know sometimes they'll let you just hang out for a little bit and then like all right that's enough you you, sh- you should get out of here so they were they were nice about it for the most part i mean it's yeah. Canadian, so they're canadians are all friendly um, <laughs> you know, <right? laughs> i'm canadian i could say that but uh yeah so it was um quite an experience that was i mean you could just feel that like shooting through you, your your heart rate like changes and it starts matching the the downshift doo, 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 doo. you know it's, it was just oh so yeah cool. yeah absolutely no i i can i can totally uh resonate with that <laughs> so anyway uh we are in the middle of a coronavirus pandemic and as a matter of fact Chaz and i aren't actually in the same room right now we are chatting over skype and recording over skype and uh, we'll continue to do so um, until further notice, until this whole uh, pandemic simmers down. Yeah, and so, we, we three now of, of self quarantine. Yeah. <laughs> Social distancing. <clears throat> All right, these right. All right. So, over the last couple of weeks, we've seen some racing series go to sim racing, uh, which I think is pretty cool. And that's one of the biggest strengths that uh, racing has in this day and age is that. Uh, video game or simulator racing is entirely possible um i think it makes it pretty cool um, you don't see football players on madden right now broadcasting so <laughs> yeah exactly yeah exactly exactly and so that's what like that's what one of the things I, I i was thinking is like is like because other professional sports cannot operate right now you know are we going to see more people become interested in motorsport because if they're going to hear if 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 a baseball fan or 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 premier league uh, football soccer fan or or just like a sports somebody who likes watching sports if they cannot watch 
their sport that they're into, they might hear about a sim race, uh, like some of the the races we've been seeing online lately. Are they going to hear about these races and then tune in to the the, the YouTube live, the Facebook live, whatever is kind of being broadcast? And then are they going to... (laughs) What? Or are they just going to watch Tiger King? Yeah, Tiger King. Uh, I keep hearing about Tiger King. It's like... I, I probably will never watch it, but um, you know, That's Tiger not, King not is like the the hot new thing. Yeah, it's like when I kept hearing about Stranger Things or Game of Thrones, like I ne- I had never seen any of the, those things, but it was the hot new thing. But yeah, like are are people who normally would like who would have nothing to do with motorsport are they going to tune in to these to these sim races just to to get their fix to, to scratch that itch of of sport and competition what do you think do you think is sim racing going to satisfy that desire to watch professional sports so i mean my first impression is going to be yeah for for the diehard sports fan who watches everything um or at least you know watches the the big the big ones here in america um you know like football baseball uh, maybe some hockey um you know i think that's that kind of person would be interested. But I think a lot of these fans who are, they know all the statistics, they know all the players um, to jump into something like, let's just say formula one um, and watch or or an indie race and not know anything about the teams or the drama or anything behind it. uh, I think that makes it a little tougher for those types of people who like to fully immerse themselves in something. But you know, there's things like survive the drive on Netflix um, where you, you get to see all that behind the scenes drama and, uh, uh, actually, my best friend never watched Formula One, and he watched that Survive the Drive, and, and all of a sudden he's like, "I'm hooked. I got I got to watch this next season." Uh, and I've heard a few people do that. They watch, you know, because once they see the drama and they see all the things going on and the stories, and they learn more about the drivers, uh, I think that really entices people. But uh, so now I think it's the perfect time for people to start getting involved. But at the mm-hmm. same time, we're not seeing yet a full. Uh, you know, not every Formula One driver is is doing these virtual races, right? I think the last one there was, um, well, Nico Hulkenberg, who's, who's not driving anymore. Uh, uh, Nicholas Latifi, the new uh, the new Williams driver, was one. Uh, Lando Norris, but then his computer wasn't even starting. So he <laughs> couldn't even. I was so I, he was I was rooting for him from the beginning, and he couldn't even put a qualifying lap in. And then I think he probably put two two races and then he had tech issues but anyway so there was a lot of great pro drivers there there was porsche super cup drivers there was uh, you know imsa winning drivers um but uh you know because you didn't have the full f1 field doing it uh it, it did take away a little bit so i think if they can get that going that would be a bigger draw versus here, here's a bunch of people who who race and you've probably never heard of these series but they're they're really good that's my initial thoughts. What do you think? I definitely agree. If they can make the Formula One uh, races not look like they're on an N64, a Nintendo 64, <laughs> then that would that that would certainly help them as well. You know, I think iRacing just like completely whomped the Formula One game, whatever they were using. Oh, yeah, uh, I was impressed by the iRacing um, that that it we've seen more- the last go. Yeah, no, but, I was gonna say Max, Max Verstappen. Um, he was supposed to, I guess, race the. Uh, uh, the 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 virtual one, but he said he wasn't familiar with the platform. Like he knew iRacing, but he didn't know yeah. you know F1 2019 or whatever they were racing on. Um, so that was a deterrent for him. But because uh, each one has a little bit different uh, physics and everything. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Um, yeah. I mean, I certainly I I agree with you. The more content that is um, not the racing itself, um, but that like really dives into and delves into. Uh, the stories, the drama, the background of of different races and series and drivers and teams and so forth. Um, that content, like uh, Drive to Survive on Netflix, what's the one? There's one on Amazon. I think it's just called Grand Prix Driver. Content like that. There's also uh, there's a Le Mans documentary on Amazon that I really like. I've actually watched through the entire uh, documentary several times at this point. It's a six-part documentary. You know, the more, like, comedy, comedic programming, like the Grand Tour that they have on Amazon, um, yep. Top Gear, you know, a lot Adam of these. He, Adam Carolla has been producing all sorts of Netflix things. He did 24-Hour um, War. He did, I think, the Carol Shelby one. He did the uh, the um, Uppity, the Willie T. Willie T. Uh, Riggs one. 
Mm. Uh, yeah, Adam Carolla is getting heavy into producing all these motorsports focused documentaries and, and Adam, if you're listening, keep it going. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> There's so much going on that's not the racing itself. I, I'm really like it's very encouraging to me because it's like, all right, all these, you know, regular folks are going to to see this stuff and it's going to, like your friend, maybe draw them into the series and, and kind of make make fans out of out of these people who would not otherwise uh, be so. Oh, for um, sure. Yeah. You know, I, the, I, was watching, the, I was watching the Indy cars at Watkins Glen on iRacing, and I was so I was watching Will Power come out of the bus stop, uh, one of the mm-hmm. corners of the Glen, the, the chicane down the back straight. And as he's coming out, he hits the grass a little bit, mm-hmm. and it flicks up a divot of grass onto the mm-hmm. track, and another car hits, which sends it flying again. I'm just sitting there like, wow! And then th- there was permanently like a, a mud spot there for from mm-hmm. when he. You know, he didn't go off crazy. It was just he tracked out a little far, then it affected yeah. his line again. But I was just like, wow, that's the amount of graphics on that was just insane. I thought, um, yeah, I always run eye racing with low graphics, so I never get to see any of that because I'd rather a smoother, you know, experience. <laughs> right, for sure. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I can't remember when I first heard of eye racing. It's been, it's been, it, it was years ago, but. I, I can't help but be really impressed with with iRacing, um, especially after watching the um, the Indy car race at Watkins Glen and seeing the the IMSA Sebring Super Saturday uh, a week ago. I mean, just the fact that it's it's not just like it's not just the fine details of you know the divot and like every little like minutiae of 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 the track that's that's com- totally mapped out in the in the finest little detail, but just I I was I was watching that indie race and I'm just going like who who's controlling the cameras right now? It's like it's like an actual oh, yeah. race. Like somebody's in charge of the camera angles and then the the, the, the announcers are yeah the replays like wow I'm so curious now as to how all of that that software gets gets compiled and organized and everything and the announcers are calling it just like it was a, a regular race and it was it's i could see that they were certainly enjoying themselves the commentators you know before the race they're they're all saying like well it's a nice sunny day here in sebring florida it's like oh well <laughs> what were you gonna what were you gonna do make it make it rain uh well you know, i think course. i think they turned on live weather so you can if it was raining that day they would have run it in the rain that's that's what i understand as as far as that so you can turn on oh weather. yeah so that makes sense so supposedly it was actually a sunny day in Central Florida that day, because <laughs> I remember okay. him saying that too. I was like, "Oh, that's pretty cool." Yeah, see, I didn't even know that, and that just adds another element of of technology. Like that's that that's just another level of impression for me. It's just like, wow, like you can just yeah turn on live weather like wherever you are in the world. Like it'll just import the data and 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 craft your your driving experience racing experience whatever you're doing so there's all that you know it's affected yeah. by weather and i think they can they can control that yeah super impressive well done i racing i hope that you continue to uh to do your thing and um it's certainly like it, it makes me want to get my own sim rig and do the thing Chaz, you have experience on i racing as well right yeah so my one of my best friends got me into it um uh, a guy I know from the track, he's pro racer. He's won a bunch of, um, I think he's got like three or four national championships under his belt. But he he learned, he practices on track on iRacing. He was showing me uh, when I was at his house once and I was like, this is cool. And he's like, yeah, you got to get it. So I went out and I, I bought a cheap used wheel and pedal set. I think a, a Logitech G20 or G something uh, cost me, you know, a couple hundred bucks for the set. And I think brand new, it's probably like 400. I think I paid about half that. And, um, I had this like little wooden table, um, thing that I basically hooked the steering wheel and the shifter on. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, the pedals I put up against the TV, like wall, the, the, the thing that the TV was on. And then I had a couch on my back and I sat on the floor, more like a formula one type of thing versus okay. sitting here like a car. Um, and then that's how I, I set it up in my basement at uh, my mom's house at the time. And that was uh, that's how I got into it. And I 
you, know, you you buy a couple of cars, you buy a couple of tracks, and then there's live multiplayer races, or you can just practice on the track. But it takes a it takes a lot to get used to. Uh, it's very sensitive. You do miss out on you know you don't quite have the feel obviously that you'd have with a car. Um, but uh, you know it's 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 one of those things you can spend as much money as you want, right? You can get a full motion simulator, which I've tried before. Mm-hmm. There's one in Montreal um, that you can pay and you get into this thing. It's got all these hydraulic arms and it's like half of a formula one cockpit. And it's got these screens mm-hmm. that wrap around you. So you get the full experience. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've driven those and, you know, I didn't, couldn't even imagine what one of those would cost to, to own, but mm-hmm. uh, or you can even do like a full chassis setup and, you know, triple quadruple monitors. So you could spend as much money, on a sim as you want or you can do me you know like i had and and spend 200 bucks on a used wheel but you're not going to get quite the feedback from the wheel or from the pedal uh, mm-hmm. but it's still enough to have fun it's just probably not enough to drive at the level of of uh, a lot of the people who are you know doing it much much more seriously yeah and then you were talking about how you buy cars on iRacing and buy tracks like if i if I were to go out tomorrow and, and get myself a little rig and hook it up and, you know, 24 hours from now, I want to sit in my, my makeshift cockpit and and fire up the iRacing, I can't just, you know, pay pay a flat, not flat, like a flat fee or maybe a monthly fee. I, I don't just pay like a membership and I have access, like wouldn't I have access to everything? Yeah, so, I mean, it's kind of like what a lot of games are doing, right? So you, you buy the initial game. Um, which I think is something like, I don't, I don't know what, it, what the cost is right now. It's, I think it's like a hundred bucks a year. Um, or maybe it's, it's 150 a year. It's something like that. It's not, it's not too bad. Mm-hmm. Um, but you pay for that and they give you a handful of cars. Um, so if I remember what you get, I had something like a, uh, an MX five cup car. So like a Mazda Miata, right. Um, mm-hmm. I think they gave me a star Mazda, you know, type of, uh, open cockpit, open wheel car. Um, I think they might have given me um, a Mustang, you know, uh, that was built up for GT racing. And uh, you see, so you get probably seven or eight cars and you probably get four or five tracks or something like that. Um, but if you want to do like a multiplayer race and, you know, they set that this is the car we're driving, this is the track. If you don't have it, you can't do it. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can also set your own and say, well, I have this car, I have this track, let me open up my own Roman and, and see who wants to join. So you could certainly do it without buying the, the DLC, right? The downloadable content, uh, which I think a car or a track costs between 10 and $15 each, um, if you wanted to add it. So I think Lime Rock came with it. Uh, that was the big one that I wanted to do. And I, I bought it right before the first time I drove Watkins Glen. And I think I had to pay for Watkins Glen, if I recall. Um, but it was important to me because I'd never been to the track. I'd been watching videos online, but I wanted to get a feel of it. So I picked the car close to mine um, mm-hmm. and I went out and, and started driving Watkins Glen on, on iRacing. And by the time I actually got to do it, I knew the corners. I knew roughly where I should be braking or where I should be turning in and apexing and tracking out. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you, you, you get to learn the line um, uh, pretty nicely with iRacing. Mm-hmm. Um, and to actually do it, you know, it, it translates a lot easier. Besides, like when I was at Calabogie, you know, Calabogie wasn't on there. And first time I was at Calabogie, I went flying off the track at over 100 miles an hour because there was a blind uphill corner called the Rocky Road. And then it turns into a 120, right? And I had a an instructor with me and he's yelling, okay, straight, straight, straight. And I'm full throttle. And I'm like, yeah, I'm going straight. And he's like, straight. He starts yelling, straight, straight. I'm like, I'm going straight. I come over the corner. And there's, a, or I come over the hill and there's this tight corner. So I hit the brakes, turn, I go spinning off the track. I didn't hit anything, luckily. Um, get back into the pits. He's like, I was yelling brake. I'm like, oh. No, like, no. <laughs> in an accent, I, I couldn't understand what he was saying. So he was yelling oh. brake. I thought he was yelling straight. So I'm just holding the wheel straight, full throttle, uh, not realizing I'm trying to kill him. Oh, my but, goodness. <laughs> so the point of that is something like, something like, um, you know, iRacing would have let me know, okay, there's a really sharp corner coming up. I should probably be braking before I get to the crest of this hill. Yeah. That's something that you don't want to do. Like, the, uh, that's just a, thankfully, you were okay and it did not end badly. But, like, yeah, that's, it's, it's definitely, I mean, you know, as an instructor that full throttle when you should be braking is, um, is, is not good. <laughs> 
Yeah, it's it's a tough one to get to recover from. Um, you know, we we use hand signals now, and I, I try to coach them through what the hand signals are, so I don't run into that when I'm instructing. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That's good. So do, when you when you buy the track, is that for the downloadable content, or can you still do any track like on online, basically? Uh, so online, you have to have the track downloaded um, before. Oh. You can- before you can do it. So if it says, you know, hey, we're, we're driving, um, you know, an Indy car at Watkins Glen and mm-hmm. like, well, I don't have that car. I don't have that track. You know, you, you can't do it. You'd have to buy the car, buy the track, have it downloaded. Okay. And then that opens up the different rooms. So it'll show you all the rooms, but it'll say like, you know, an X over, like you don't own this car, so you can't drive yep. here and like, buy the yep. car. Yeah. Uh, okay. But iRacing's a blast. I mean, we used to get a group of people together and, and you know, uh call and say hey i'm online i'm doing iRacing we would open up a private room so it would just be you know the three or four of us and mm-hmm. we do little races or just you know lapping each other and crashing into each other and holding the reset button <laughs> nice starting back in the pit lane you know it's uh it, it's a ton of fun especially if you if you know people who are doing it too and you can you can coordinate to be online at the same time and, and then have like a you know a voice communicator so you can talk to each other while you're racing yeah um, for sure it becomes like an online gaming, um, you know, like a real online gaming system too. Do you feel like if uh, if somebody like myself would wanted to get into iRacing, it sounds like minimum investment would probably be five hundred dollars around there, not not yeah, including the television or computer. Right, not including the the monitors or anything, but um, you know, you, you, so here's the other thing too: is you kind of need a good graphics card on your laptop. Um, so when I got my laptop, I specifically asked for the best graphics card, uh, where you can, you know, install one yourself if, if mm-hmm. you can do that. Um, but you need, you need some kind of special gaming type laptop. Uh, you can't just play on your normal, um, you know, Lenovo or HP or whatever. So you need, you need something there. Uh, but if, assuming you have that already, uh, then yeah, it's about $500, uh, and you can play. Uh, that's probably the minimum investment to get in. You know, you can spend two thousand dollars on a full chassis with monitors and everything, and mm-hmm. have a really awesome setup. Uh, you could spend ten thousand dollars and get one that probably moves a little bit. You know, you, you get the vibration in the wheel, but if you want like the rocking back and forth of a chassis, yeah. you know, then you're you're in tens of thousands of dollars, I'd guess. It doesn't have to be a laptop though, does it? Can you get some? Yeah, a regular uh, like computer. a desktop. Okay. Yeah, because yeah, I, I if somebody wants to do as little investment as as possible but but at the same time have have decent performance um for what they're doing i i'm i'm thinking like kind of a build your own tower would be the way to go because then you can just put whatever graphics card you want in there and it's probably a lot cheaper a lot cheaper to kind of build your own computer that way just buying each and each individual part and then putting it together yourself and, you know, what I can say, too, is there's starting to be places that open, you know, virtual reality is becoming a, a thing, right? So there's places mm-hmm. where you want to go try it. You know, in uh, I think it's in Vernon, Connecticut, there's Spark VR, it's called. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a, so they have, I would say, maybe seven, five or seven, you know, full chassis vehicles that you get in and you wear a virtual reality headset. Uh, and it's an iRacing setup, so you can choose the track. Oh, nice. Um, and then they, they do competitions. So who can, you know, they'll say, hey, we're doing a Ferrari 458 challenge at Watkins Glen. Who can put down the best lap time? Um, and they'll open it up like all day Saturday and then prizes nice. are on Sunday. Um, so, you know, I'll, I'll always throw my hat in the ring for those when I see those pop up. Um, okay. I know in a car, I know, like I've driven 458 Ferraris and I've driven Watkins Glen. So, you know, I feel like I have an advantage over the, the normal gamer, but uh, but, you know, that's because it is it's very different and it's very you know it's sensitive um so sometimes people get in there and they just spin constantly and yeah so it could be demotivating um if you don't want to you know necessarily put the time in if you don't have any type of track experience um it could be very difficult and I, you could right. turn racing on, on and break points on so it can kind of start to teach you what to do yeah uh, but uh you know it's one of those things you, you kind of have to stick with it's not like a regular video game where it starts out easy and gets harder. I mean, it starts hard and, and stays hard. It sounds like, I mean, this reminds me a lot of, uh, like I know there's a kart track in New York State. I can't remember the exact name. I think it's like something Valley kart track. Anyway, oh, it's o- one of the... O-B-R-P? Yeah, 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 that's yeah. it. I forget what the O stands for, but... Uh, right. Valley. Yeah, yeah, Race Park. That's uh, The owner of that is, uh, is a 
uh, a fellow driving instructor with uh, with one of the clubs I drive with. Oh, very nice, very cool. Yeah, I've had my uh, my eye on doing like an arrive and drive there because that that's a really like high level pro level karting track and facility, and they have a lot of cool carts available there. And so they have the arrive and drive kind of real driving experience. It sounds like this Spark VR is almost like an arrive and drive uh, experience for somebody who wants to get into iRacing or maybe doesn't want to invest or maybe they don't have the space or the money to invest in a home rig. Is that kind of what it is? Or like, do you think that's a good option for uh, for somebody looking to to almost like rent, like like have a, like a rental, like a, like rental kind of comes to mind or a subscription? So yeah, they do monthly. They just started doing monthly subscriptions because um, I got an email about it. I'm on their, their email list there. And so you could pay a monthly fee and, and then show up. And I think there's different levels. There's like silver, gold, and platinum where you can, mm. you know, you get 10 races or you get unlimited races or you get whatever you want. Um, and then there's, you know, discounts on other things because they have across from those cars, they have like a virtual reality room where you get in there and you have like, you know, lightsabers or guns and you walk through and kill oh. zombies. So it's a whole, huh. and they also have a bar there. So it's it's tons of fun place. <laughs> you can go have a couple of drinks and then get in a race car. Yeah, uh, so you can drink and drive. All right. Yeah, no. So they so you could do a monthly membership. Um, I if you're worried about cost, I think if it's something you're going to do a lot, it makes sense to just do just just buy the the rig and do it yourself. Um, you mm. probably won't have the virtual reality headset, so it won't be as cool. But, uh, you know, after a couple months, you're already over the cost of what it would cost you to buy, you know, steering wheel and, and the initial um, uh, iRacing subscription. So it, it's going to be one of those things, depending on how much you use it. Um, if you okay. want to go do a session there, I think it's like 40 bucks or something like that for three races. Um, they run specials a lot often. Yeah, I mean it's 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 one of those things. It's just like regular racing. You can spend as much as you want, you know. Yeah. How much would one of those challenge days cost? Like a Saturday when they're doing the Ferrari around Watkins Glen. How much would that cost? Yeah. I think it's like twenty or thirty bucks. Um, it might it might be up to forty or fifty. Um, I'm trying to recall, but uh, it's I would say under fifty, and they give you something like. Uh, four minute practice session um mm -hmm. and then you jump into the car and uh i think you get you get probably equivalent of four or five laps uh to put down your best time okay and, um you know whatever that time would be so you know Watkins Glen ferrari i think that's what maybe two minutes or something like that so mm -hmm. you know, it's you have to put your best time down because if you crash you start over in pit lane and and you know keep going oh okay if, if you crash it'll affect the car and if you crash or go off track then your lap time's not counted right um, so if you know, if I go off and turn one, I'm just gonna restart, and or if I get a bad turn one, maybe I'll restart because I blew the whole lap, or yeah, or um, you know, maybe I'll want to build up the momentum and, and just come around again. So yeah, you know, it's so it's it's definitely fun um, for somebody thinking to get into sim racing. I think that's an awesome way to get an introduction to it. But at the same time, so I, I went with a friend and he got major motion sickness from the mm. virtual reality headset. Um, where on a laptop he doesn't get that because they have motion simulators so they do oh, okay and you do have a virtual reality headset on so it's it's a you know it's the rolls royce almost of uh of simulators but um mm -hmm. you know for for my friend who's who actually races too uh well not races but he does uh, track days and autocrossing um you know he's fine in a car he's fine in the passenger seat of a car but for some reason this is the second time we did it virtual reality racing seems to bother him um, mm. So just a word of caution there. He's definitely not somebody who's, who's prone to motion sickness. Um, so once all this coronavirus stuff kind of settles down and people go back to work and and um, we go back to to real racing on real racetracks with real cars, do you think that let's assume that there is going to be an uptick in interest in sim racing? Do you think that that gaming or, or like companies related to gaming? Uh, like um, Logitech and I think Forza is the name of a of a racing game. Do you think those companies are going to have a bigger presence uh, in the real racing world when it comes to sponsorship? Like, are we going to see a, a Logitech billboard at Lime Rock, you know, a year from now? Yeah, that's that's a great question. I, I, I definitely, I don't see why not. 
really uh, because mm -hmm. right now you have people who it, it's mainly car parts and car sponsors right so you'll have you know bmw used to be at lime rock and you go there and you see bmw signs everywhere yeah or you'll see you know liquid molly or you'll see uh, you know hella light bulbs at porsche races so you see all these different car part brands right or car brands themselves yeah, yeah that's a good question i don't think you see a lot i think i racing though they do if you go to like an IMSA race um, or a pro race at Lime Rock, like iRacing will be there um, mm -hmm. and they'll have a simulator. Uh, it might not mm -hmm. be iRacing, it might be somebody who sells simulators, but they're already advertising there. They pretty much always have a booth and you can go and they usually run a contest like who could put the best lap time down. And they, you know, if it's at Lime Rock, they'll use Lime Rock track and yeah try to find a car that's similar to what's racing that day yes i mean they do it a little bit now but you're right as far as a billboard or something that's going to be a little bit more of a, a sponsorship cost I, I i say why not i'd be curious to see what the numbers are as far as how many people were tuned into um you know the indie race or the, the super saturday Sebring and, and the, you know, the formula one um bahrain um mm -hmm. yeah i'd be really curious to see what those numbers were um because i i guarantee it's way higher than the people who watch iRacing races now. Um, mm -hmm. But is it, is it something that's going to carry over or is it just like, we just need our fix. So that's what we're doing. Yeah. Um, I feel like it's probably more of a, we just need our fix, but I'm sure, you know, like how cool iRacing was to watch. I think that's going to attract, you know, that's definitely going to pull the crowd a bit. I, I can't say that I'll probably continue watching virtual racing, uh, once real racing starts up again, but uh, yeah, I definitely see an appetite for that for some people. Yeah, I definitely agree. Once real racing starts, I'll definitely watch that exclusively compared to to iRacing. You know, I might tune into iRacing if if some of the big names are going to do another race. I mean, I wonder if this trend will create something of like an off off season uh, racing series. You know, in the middle of winter. I mean, a lot of them are, are in simulators, you know, as, as training tools anyway. So I just wonder if this is going to carry over to, to the off-season um, and just kind of keep that flow of uh, entertainment going for the fans. I know that when, I, when I've been watching the iRacing, it makes me want to get into it. You know, that's, that's one of the reasons why I ask you about your sim racing rig and, and the cost of iRacing because, you know, I watch that and I'm like, dang, like, this is really cool. I can see myself, you know, if I'm going to, if this is going to be my hobby, if I'm going to get into iRacing as a hobby, you know, some people spend lots of money on their hobbies even every month. If I'm going to make this uh, something I'm regularly going to do and put money into it, you know, maybe maybe this is a good good way to go. You know, I can I can compete, I can have a lot of fun and I don't I don't even have to leave my house. I just wonder if, people like me are out there they see this and they want to do it themselves and they know they can it's accessible and then some of these companies like logitech um is going to catch on and, and say hey look like we can capture people you know like let's say that there's a logitech booth at lime rock during the imsa race this year next year whenever you know hopefully this year we'll have the imsa race in july at lime rock but uh, let's say there's a logitech booth and and they're showing off their their wares. I've been to Lime Rock a couple times for, been there for Trans Am, I've been there for IMSA, I've been there for Pirelli World Challenge, and I have not, I don't, I can't recall a, a Logitech-specific booth um, or hardware company specifically. I mean, there's certainly been uh, little simulators at, I think in the, in the Porsche tent, there were some simulators, or maybe it was the Lexus tent, I can't remember, but you know there there are simulators here and there dotted around the uh, the facility, but I don't think the actual manufacturer of the simulators has been uh, represented there. I mean, you've said there's there's been an eye racing, and that's the software end of it. But as far as hardware goes, I just wonder if we'll start to see more more involvement from those uh, hardware manufacturers in real live racing itself. I know that Forza Forza is a game, but that I, I have seen plenty of, of sponsorship from them uh, here and there, but they're the main mass market uh, video game, I would say. I don't know mm -hmm. if I would call iRacing you know, mass market because it does require quite a bit of investment um, for the full experience, whereas Forza, you know, people are hopping on their Xbox or 
PlayStation and just using the hand controllers for that. You know, I don't see EA Sports banners flying around at uh, at races. And, and but yes. racing, it's not set up like a game where you have like a career mode and, you know, you win these cars and everything like that. It's, it's truly set up as a simulator. Um, mm-hmm. So they don't have a market to... Um, you know, market to the people who are, and the graphics are not as good as Forza. I mean, they're really good, but uh, I, th- I think Forza is still way better with the car details and everything like that. Because uh, what they want to focus on, they put their investment in scanning the tracks to make sure they're within, you know, a centimeter or whatever. They've got it down mm-hmm. to now feel every bump. Um, and also the the physics in the car. When my friend was yep. racing for Car Mazda, uh, iRacing approached him and asked if they could, you know, plug into his race car uh, and gather data. So uh, mm. the Star that you race in um in uh, i racing actually comes from his car from his data um, very so cool in there yeah so i mean they, they, that's where their investment is where forza invests in, in marketing and graphic design and you know things like that so it's a it's a different audience for sure yeah yeah uh the sponsorship is something that i definitely think is worth worth discussing at, at some point within this podcast but but yeah it's it's just interesting to see what types of companies are involved in sponsorship um especially the larger tech companies you know like amazon web services like i keep seeing aws around you know it's i see it on a lot of racing suits of the guys that are on in the major series and companies like kaspersky and citrix you know i see that in in formula one so it's just uh it's neat, and I'm I'm certainly curious as as to how that how that that whole side works, you know. And I'd love to get my hands on a, a sponsorship contract just to see just to see what it looks like. Uh, I'd like to, but for different reasons. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, you you want to you want your name to be uh, on the contract. Uh, yeah. Right. <laughs> well, who knows? Hopefully, someday Petrolhead Cafe can get to a, a certain point where maybe we can we can at least sponsor a car in the 24 hours of lemons. There you go. Yeah. $500 investment there, at least. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll start small. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that about wraps it up for episode one of the Petrolhead podcast. Take care. Stay safe. We'll catch you next time. Speed safely, everybody.